why it is that we shape our services on a Sunday the way that we do. Um, and to give you a clue, it's to increase the flow of the Holy Spirit in our gatherings. So that's what we're looking at over the next two weeks. Why do we do what we do? There may have been some changes that have come over the last few weeks and months, and you're wondering, why do we do that? Hopefully, this will go some way to explaining that. Um, so our reading was from Psalm 63. If you've got a, a phone, do get that open in front of you. And the context is that David is king. Uh, we're about a thousand years before Christ, and many believe that it was written at a time when David was in the wilderness escaping a revolt from his son Absalom, who wanted to be king. So Absalom had tricked and won the hearts of many people in Israel and gathered up a bit of an army to kill David and to take his throne. So there's a military coup against David. And in both a metaphorical and a literal sense, David is in a wilderness place. So that's when this prayer takes place. That's the context. Literally and metaphorically, he feels scared, thirsty, hungry, and weary. And how does he respond? How does he respond when his life's in danger, he's in the wilderness, He's scared, he's hungry, he's afraid. How would you respond? How does David respond? He responds by rushing to God and asking for more of God's presence. In other words, he says, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. That's how David responds in that moment of challenge. And I wonder where you might be at this morning. Do we resonate with any of those wilderness feelings at all? Hunger, thirst, weariness, anxiety. What are we carrying this morning as we come to church? And what is our first response? Desperation for God and his presence runs through the prayers of David in the Psalms. It actually runs through a number of the prayers in the whole Bible. But just some of the other prayers of David. As the deer pants for water... So my soul longs for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Such a visceral image of an animal panting desperate for life. One thing I ask from the Lord, David says, this is what I seek to do what? If, if you can ask God one thing, what would it be? This is what David says, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. How lovely is your dwelling place, Psalm 84, O Lord Almighty. My soul longs, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. This is not a very English Christianity, is it? David is not shy in expressing his desperation for God. And here is Psalm 63. God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. David's not shy in expressing his desperation for God. And I want to suggest that desperation for the presence of God. We were singing it this morning. We're desperate for your presence. I want to suggest that's something that we all want to cultivate in our own lives and in the life of the church. To make that prayer Come, Holy Spirit, the prayer of our lives, the prayer 
of this church. And the question you're asking me is why? Why would we want to do that? And that's what I want to answer this morning. Why does David make this prayer his most frequent prayer? Why do we want this prayer to characterize us as a church? I want to suggest three reasons. Number one, the presence of God sets us apart. Number two, the presence of God brings the love of God. And number three, the presence of God brings the power of God. Number one, the presence of God sets us apart. It makes us different from every other group or organization in the world. And as people in the world, during the week, in our culture and society, it's the presence of God that makes the difference and releases the potential to bring real change. What we can offer to the world, to our workplaces, to our neighborhoods, to our streets, to Sydenham and Forest Hill, is only possible as we seek the kingdom of God, that's the purpose of our lives, is only possible because of the presence of God. At the time of David, as I said, we're about a thousand years before Jesus. And this is a time when accessibility to the Holy Spirit is not the same as today. Today, we can receive an outpouring of the Holy Spirit because of the cross and the resurrection that has gone first. It's removed our sin, our guilt, our shame. Anything that makes us unclean has been removed. You are a new creation in Christ. And so we can receive the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit that is holy. We've been made clean by the cross. But that is not true in Old Testament times. And so God's people had to engage with the Holy Spirit in a different way, a much more controlled way. In the time of David, it was through something called the Ark of the Covenant, which was like a giant chest, an ornate chest where God's presence dwelt. And it was the Ark of the Covenant that set God's people apart from all the other tribes and nations at that time. And as we go through the books of Kings and Samuel, we see these battles that David and his men, the Israelites, are in. And whenever the Ark and the Covenant was with the Israelites, they had victory. Whenever the Ark of the Covenant wasn't with the Israelites, they didn't have victory. Where the Ark is victory came and the same is true for our lives wherever the presence of God is that's when we find victory over the things that hold us back in life whatever that might be physical illness anxiety depression inadequacy you fill in the blanks there's a cool little story in 2 Samuel about the Ark of the Covenant staying at the home of a guy called Obed-Edom and his family. And the Ark stayed in his house for three months as it was journeying from one place to the other. And I love that little story because it says that everything in Obed-Edom's house was blessed uh, and in his family. And I just have this wonderful picture of everything growing exponentially, all his little pot plants in his house just growing. He was not good at cooking. Suddenly, he's good at cooking. His marriage was blessed. His relationship with his kids was blessed. Uh, even the football team that he supported was blessed, perhaps. But I love that image of God's blessing coming through the Ark of the Covenant, because that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in our lives today. The point is, it's the presence of God that makes the difference, not the people themselves. And we see this when we fast forward to the disciples and the difference between pen before Pentecost and after Pentecost. So the disciples were not the brightest and the best. Uh, I recently heard a speaker describe the disciples as the thickos. 
um, which he's not wrong at describing them as the thickos. Because with the disciples, they had dropped out of rabbi school. They'd find other ways of earning a living. They were uh, an assorted bunch and mainly of cowards. Most of them deserted Jesus at the cross. Uh, a, a collection of fishermen, Roman sympathizing tax collectors, uh, religious extremists. Uh, the character traits included anger issues, cynicism, doubt, general lack of faith, insecurity, greed. They were pretty slow to pick things up. They were often crippled by fear and worry. And this is the group that Jesus chose to start the church. And yet after Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, what do we see? Peter and John heal a man who's been lame from birth and then preach to a crowd in the middle of Jerusalem, attracting persecution, but seeing thousands of people come to faith. Peter has a miraculous escape from prison. He raises a woman from the dead. The disciples were marked with this extraordinary courage in the face of persecution as they prayed and preached and performed miracles. As they looked after the poor, they saw the church grew exponentially. What's the difference? The difference is Pentecost. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit that marked them out. It's not because they were special in any way, and that should encourage you. Because although we like to put on our best shirt or dress and we like to look good, all of us are aware of the brokenness and mess and fragility in our own lives. And we don't have to have it all sorted to be used by God. Yes, we will have some gifts to, to bring to the party, if you like. We naturally have gifts that, that God has given us as we seek to build the church and do things. But really, without the Spirit, it's not enough. I love another prayer in the Bible, a prayer of Moses in Exodus 33, when he's leading God's people through the wilderness to the promised land, and God's people have sinned. They've made an idol to uh, the prophet Baal, and God says, well, you can go, but I'm not going to go with you. And this is what Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from here. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. What will set us apart if not your presence? You have to go with us. And I have a similar prayer each Sunday. Lord, we want to leave here knowing that we've met with you. We want above anything else an encounter with the living God. So the presence of God sets us apart. And secondly, the presence of God brings the experience of the love of God. David says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied, as with the richest of foods, with, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. So here in, in the Psalm, Psalm 63, David is thinking back to when he was in the sanctuary, the place where the Ark of the Covenant rests, the place of the presence of God, and in that place he experiences a love that is better than life itself. And his heart is lifted up in wonder, love, and praise. Now, in my hand, I've got a chocolate bar. Someone's going to get this chocolate bar, okay? Um, but imagine for a moment you have never had a chocolate bar, okay? And I had to describe it to you. What would I say? What would I say? I might say, well, it's sweet, but with a little bit of bitterness, 
Uh, if it's milk chocolate, I might say it's kind of creamy tasting. If it's a Kit Kat, then it's a bit kind of like a wafer. I might say it's wonderful to eat. It's brilliant. It's about 11 o'clock with a cup of coffee. Then about you. That's perfect for me. Um, but that's how I might say it. I might describe it in that way. And what would that tell you about chocolate? It would tell you something, but it wouldn't tell you a lot. To know about chocolate, what have you got to do? You've got to eat it. You've got to get your teeth into it. You've got to bite the chocolate bar. Now, who wants a chocolate bar this morning? Anyone not have breakfast? Don't be shy. Ben does. Okay, I'm going to lob it to Ben at the back. There we go. It got there. The same is true, funny enough, with the love of God. You know, I could say to you, God loves you a hundred times. I could tell you that he's for you. I could tell you that you are a child of God. You are dearly loved by him. And that goes some way. Of course it does. But until we really experience the love of God through the Holy Spirit, we can't really be formed by it. It can't really shape us in the deepest place. And so we go back to that place again and again. Yeah, but do you really love me, God? Are you really for me? Why is this happening? I feel alone. I feel isolated. I feel rejected. And those feelings come back. David described the love of God as the better than life itself. In other words, nothing else beats it. Whatever your favorite thing to do at the moment is, a, a walk in the autumn sunshine, a good meal with family or friends. I was chatting with Maureen yesterday. She likes a good puzzle. Uh, watching Crystal Palace play football, debatable. Um, but the best things of this life, whatever it is for you, are a mere reflection, David says, of the experience of the love of God. Perhaps the closest we can get to it is within our human relationships, the relationship of a parent and child, husband and wife, a, a close friendship. I have um, two kids, one who are one and three. Um, that's not their names, their ages. Um, and um, they're quite big cuddlers like their dad. Um, but this week, our one-year-old B um, has been particularly like clingy, you would say. And she just doesn't take no for an answer. So you'd be trying to like make dinner in the evening or um, do something quickly on your laptop. And she'd toddle over to you. She's 18 months. And she'd put out her arms. And she would just stand there until you picked her up. And if you didn't pick her up, she'd start crying. She does not take no for an answer. And what she really, what I could do with B is I could say, it's okay, B, I love you. You know, I'm for you. I'm with you. I love you. It's okay. And that would go some way. But of course, what she really wants is me to pick her up and to be in my arms, because there's a difference, isn't there? And the same is true with us. And Psalm 63 is basically David putting out his arms to God and saying, will you pick me up in your arms? I want to be in your presence. Paul picks this up in Romans 8 when he says, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit, that's our inner being, that we are children of God, so that what we know in our heads actually goes down to our hearts and we have an experience of God. The presence of God sets us apart. It helps us experience God's love. And then thirdly, it helps us experience the power of God. David speaks of beholding God's power and glory in the sanctuary. And it's the power of God that brings change. When the Holy Spirit came in power, first of all, through the ministry of Jesus, there was a time of 
the Spirit um, coming after a long time of waiting. We had these prophecies about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. It's like a trumpet call in the ministry of Jesus. And again, again, the gospel writers talk about how Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And then after Pentecost, of course, with the church as well. And one of the marks is transformation, where the Spirit goes, where someone full of the Spirit goes. Physical healing, inner healing, people finding new faith, purpose, peace, joy, freedom in life. And the same is true today. The presence of God brings the power of God, and the power of God brings transformation for good. We've experienced that in part here on a Sunday when we've made space to wait for the Holy Spirit. We've had testimonies of ankles being healed. Charles gave a testimony of that the other day. We've had testimonies of prophetic words speaking directly into people's lives. We had a testimony of someone who uh, was anxious all week about their attic catching fire, their loft catching fire, and there was a prophetic word given exactly for that so that that person could find peace. The other day I was at St. Peter's Broccoli and someone had a word about a right shoulder um, being in pain and then this person came forward. I had the privilege of praying for them. I just said, be healed in Jesus' name and instantly that person was healed because when the Spirit comes, he brings power. And the problem with a church that is not pursuing the Spirit is that it might be very nice, but it doesn't go far enough to make a difference. Consider Jenny. What do we do about Jenny? Jenny is someone I met through a seeker course in my previous church. I've changed her name. Um, But Jenny grew up in a cult. And as a result, she would say she had a pretty messed up childhood. She felt depressed. She was trapped by a religious spirit in her family uh, when she was in the cult. And then when coming out of the cult, she felt ashamed that she'd ever been in a cult She was ostracized by her family. Um, She felt like she couldn't talk about her past. She was very closed because to a lot of people, she said it was weird or unusual. She lacked a healthy, secure base in life, and it impacted all her relationships, and she had trust issues. So when I first met Jenny, she was completely closed off. She was like a closed book. She didn't trust anyone. She had a deep suspicion of religion. She felt lonely. She felt isolated from her experiences. She was a teacher, and someone had invited her along um, to this seeker course. And so often, people like Jenny come to church, and what can we offer them? The truth is, we're all like Jenny, really. We've all got stuff deep down that impacts us and robs us of life in different ways, from what we've picked up from our childhood, from just living life in the world. We have hurts and pain and brokenness. What do we do with people like Jenny? Because so often in church, what happens is we come along, we sing a few songs, we hear a nice talk, we have a coffee, and then we say to Jenny, oh, we've got a Bible study on Wednesday. Would you like to come along? And it's not going to do the job. It's not going to go far enough because what we need is the power of God through the Holy Spirit, to bring transformation. We need the power of God to get into the iceberg and to bring real and deep healing. And it was beautiful when Jenny experienced that healing by the Holy Spirit. She came on a Holy Spirit day. We waited. We prayed for her. There were tears. Tears are often a sign of God releasing pain. And her whole life looks 
very different. We need the power of God, friends. So as I draw to a close, I want to explain a little bit more of why we do what we do on a Sunday. And there are a few things that really help to build an atmosphere of openness to the Holy Spirit. Um, One of those things is worship. So you might be asking, why do we sing all our songs in a row rather than spread them out so we can have a bit of a break? Why do we do that? Sometimes when I come to church, I feel as spiritual as a courgette. I don't know about you. So it takes time for me to open myself to God. And as we worship God in a block, it allows us to journey into the presence of God. It allows us to get out of the morning, get out of the week that we've just had, and to actually be in the room with God. And that can take quite a few songs. I think we could probably do with more than three songs, well, for me at least, to actually wake up and engage with what's going on and engage with God. And really, in our worship, we follow the journey the Israelites would have taken in the temple. So the Israelites came into the temple. They came into the outer courts with praise and worship. So we always begin in praise, lifting up our eyes to God. We remind ourselves of who God is and what God has done. And then as God's people walked through the temple, they went past the altar. For us, that's the cross, where sacrifice is made for sin. We're made clean. And so we might sing songs about the cross and remind ourselves of all that God has done for us in the cross, as we did this morning. And then after the cross uh, and after the altar in the temple, there's the Holy of Holies. It's the place when only the high priest could go once a year, where the very presence of God dwelt. And for us, as we go through the cross, we go into the Holy of Holies. That's the very presence of God itself. And This looks like singing songs of intimacy and love. Here the songs might be more subjective. This is why we want to sing from our own hearts. Songs that say, I love you, Lord. I worship you. I adore you. Songs of intimacy and love. And here we often wait. And so when Warren or whoever's leading worship is playing chords and we're just kind of standing around, that might feel like a strange thing. Why are we standing around listening to Warren play chords? We're not. We're trying to engage with the presence of God. And we're trying to listen for what he might want to do in our gathering. What else helps with the flow of the Spirit? Testimonies help with the flow of the Spirit because they raise faith. So we want to have times where we share testimonies of God's provision in our lives, his healing. Maybe we're going through a hard time, but we felt that he helped us out in a particular way because that that testimony that we have can then encourage someone else who's going through a similar thing. And what we find is often when God does one thing for one person, he wants to do it again and again. It kind of multiplies like wildfire. So testimonies build faith and create an atmosphere where the spirit can move. Prophetic words do the same. So that's why we create space and say, is God saying something to you to encourage all of us? And prophetic words is just a big way of saying listening to God, Okay. So there might be a picture that comes into your mind, a Bible verse, um, a word. You might think, is it me or is it God? And we know that, so we offer it with open hands. The only kind of qualification or the only thing you need to run through your mind is, is it encouraging? If it's encouraging, you can come and share it, and that builds faith. And then finally, waiting. Waiting makes room for the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, verse 4. Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem to his followers, but wait for the gift my father promised you, 
and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And to be baptized, literally, in that language, it wasn't actually a religious word then. It just meant you'll be drenched with the Holy Spirit. So a ship that had sunk was baptized because it was completely immersed and covered. And Jesus says, if you wait, you'll be covered with the Holy Spirit. The problem is, so often, we don't want to wait for the Spirit to come because we want to get on with lunch or whatever else is happening. And we see this again and again on repeat. The disciples went out, and then they came back, and they waited for the filling of the Spirit. They went out, they came back, they waited for the filling of the Spirit. And we want to see this here, too. And the way that we wait here is we simply close our eyes and we put out our hands. And you might think that's a rather odd activity to do on a Sunday morning, just to stand around with your eyes closed and arms out. It's not in the Bible, but it's a model that we've got from the vineyard movement, uh, led by John Wimber, and it's proven very effective. And it just helps us communicate openness to God. God, I'm open to you. Whatever you want to do, I'm open. I want to receive from you. It's a posture of receiving. It's telling God and telling my heart and mind, I want to receive from you, God. Standing there with our hands in our pockets and staring at me like you want to kill me does not communicate openness to God. After that, we might invite people to come forward to the front because it's easier to move around and pray for people at the front. Again, that's not in the Bible. It's just a really practical thing to do. So as we invite people to come forward to the front, we invite people to come and pray. And some people might just pray, come Holy Spirit. They might just affirm what the Spirit's doing. That's great. They might not say anything else. If you come forward to pray, it's not a time for counseling or another preach. We're simply blessing what God is already doing in that person. Someone might come and pray for you, and they might just share something encouraging that they sense God's saying, and then they might move on to someone else. And we want to create a culture where we come, and we don't just receive prayer from one person, but we might wait and linger, and different people will bless us in different ways. then finally, what happens when the Spirit comes? Sometimes the Spirit comes and we just experience a beautiful peace. And there's nothing that happens with our bodies. But because the Spirit comes in power, there are there is an impact. There's a manifestation of the Spirit on our bodies sometimes. So sometimes people fall on the floor. Sometimes people's eyelids begin to flutter. Their hands begin to shake. Sometimes people start to laugh uncontrollably. That's a release of joy in them. Sometimes people start crying, which is often a sign of healing of wounds. Sometimes people bow, which is a sign of worship. And the more we do it, the more you'll see what's going on. Now, a manifestation like that is not um, a determining factor of how spiritual you, you are. As I said, we can just stand there and quietly receive and have just as a profound experience. But it's just helpful to know that these things happen. So as I genuinely come into land and finish. I just want to say this. Why am I so committed to the ministry of the Spirit? I'm so committed to it because it has changed my life and it continues to change my life. When I was a student, I had experience of the Spirit through the local church and I thought it was just the most amazing thing, the most exciting thing. I said, that's what I want to do. I want more of that, God, and I want to help others experience your presence. So we're going to do that now. We're going to stand and we're going to wait for God's spirit to come.